What's up, guys? It's Friday, October 1st, 2021. Just just, just stop and think about that for a minute. It's October 1st. September is done. What has happened with this year? This year, like, I don't know. Like, it's always, every time the year starts, I don't know. I don't know why I feel this way. Every time the year starts, I feel like, you know, it drags, uh, and then summertime comes, and we roller coaster from summertime into the holidays, into the end of the year, and the new year. And it's a little bit crazy, uh, but we're in October. Oh my god! Oh my god! And this year in particular, this year in particular probably feels a little bit different because, uh, despite the fa- you know, this is this is interesting, interesting thing. That pops up in debates about COVID, coronavirus, you know, restrictions, lockdowns, and all that. I haven't felt like that the world has been in lockdown over the past year. I I really don't. Um, Because you can go to stores, uh, or at least I can. I can go to any store here, and masks are optional. The stuff in the doorways and the windows isn't even there anymore. It's not propped up on every business. Some people wear masks, some people don't wear masks, nobody really cares who's doing what, nobody's, you know, it's like the stupid videos that I see online sometimes of, of the guys going, going after the anti-maskers, you know, in public, having meltdowns, and vice versa, anti-maskers having meltdowns over maskers. I think that's bullshit, I don't really think, like, I think 95% of people don't live their lives in such a way that they care what other people are doing, even even in this global pandemic that's going on. Uh, because literally, I've never seen anybody fight over masks. Um, and furthermore, I've never had uh, an unpleasant interaction that I've seen between masked people or unmasked people um, at all. Like, not, not directly. I haven't seen it personally in my life. I've seen people wearing masks and not wearing masks, being cordial and polite to each other in the supermarket. And nobody's rolling their eyes. Nobody's, you know, hissing or huffing or, you know, doing any. <sighs> nobody's doing that. And maybe, maybe that's it's restored my faith in humanity a little bit. That that maybe what I'm seeing on Twitter and what I'm seeing on social media is is kind of fake. I kind of put that out the other day on my Twitter that I just feel like Twitter might be fake. Like, I know some of, I, I know people from Twitter. I interact with you. Some some of you in person I've interacted with. So I know you're not fake. But 
I put it out on, on Twitter, like, you know, conspiracy theory. You log on Twitter, you think you're interacting with a bunch of people, but really, it's all fake. It's just, you're the real person and everybody else is fake. Can you imagine if that's what it was? Because technically, I can't disprove that. You know, technically, I can't disprove that all of Twitter is fake. Or most of the internet is fake. Can't can't really prove or deny that uh, it could just be all a grand conspiracy to slowly drive me insane. Could be. Don't know. Don't know and don't care. But I did catch my first 12-hour Twitter ban, which is surprising because uh, I'm a libertarian and I get into heated arguments with people all the time. But I caught my first 12-hour Twitter ban because... Lad Bible had posted, who should be the next James Bond? And it was, you know, four celebrities like Chris Pratt, um, you know, uh, Henry Cavill, Idris Elba, and uh, I think there was like one other person. And I had tweeted back on this tweet that, you know, I said, maybe James Bond should just die. And Twitter flagged that and put me in a 12-hour bad boy timeout for violating their terms of services uh, for harassment and I think promoting violence. Uh, bizarre. Bizarre. That I suggesting a fictional character die uh, was harassment. I, I'm very... I, I, I'm, I apologize for not taking into consideration the feelings of the fictional character. I went back after my ban was over to that same tweet, and I said, perhaps the fictional character in the fictional universe should meet their mortal de demise. And I meant to throw in fictional mortal demise, but now I want it to be their actual mortal demise. Because, because that's where I'm at with, like, you know, who should be the next James Bond? I don't care about James Bond anymore. Like, I, like who does? Who cares about... You're just rehashing the same thing over and over again because you lack the creativity to come up with something new. You have the franchise stuff in place. You have to be you can be very very lazy with it. Just reintroduce a character or or you know launch from you know a, a new iteration of the character. I think it's very very lazy. I th like I hate Hollywood. <laughs> I really do. I hate Hollywood. And because I suggested that too, I posted it on my Facebook, and like my friend Yakov commented on it about how he hates uh, he hated the Dark Knight trilogy where Batman flies off with the bomb and it blows up, and you think, okay, maybe Batman sacrificed himself for the greater good, and he's like, Hollywood has to go and ruin it by having him, you know, at that restaurant in France that you know Alfred looks up and sees him at the table to get this cheesy, you know, oh, sentimental, everything was okay, Hollywood bullcrap. And I said the same thing. I said, like, you know, people like to bash on Star Wars, uh, the, the Disney trilogy, which the Disney tril trilogy was, uh, as, as a creative whole, just a horrible, like, they didn't plan it out. They had no direction. Disney clearly had dollar signs over their eyeballs and were just raking in the dough, and that's all they cared about. That's why they had three different directors to write and direct each individual movie rather than some kind of unified front of plotting a trilogy of stories. And it shows. It shows in the work. And the best thing that Disney's done with Star Wars is either on Disney Plus with uh, 
literally everything that they're doing on Disney Plus um, is is spectacular for Star Wars. Um, the Mandalorian is probably in my top five television shows of all time. Yes, I'm serious about that. Uh, Rogue One is the best cinematic thing that they've done, and it it rivals the original Star Wars trilogy. And that's probably the peak. It probably won't get better than that. And I'm I'm okay with that. I've come to terms with that. But like one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest uh, things that I hated in Disney's new Star Wars trilogy was like the Last Jedi, where Finn is in that stupid beat up sand skiff, and the First Order has plopped down that Death Star, that mini Death Star technology to blast through the doors of this Resistance base, the last base that the Resistance can hole up in to try to reach out and get help from the rest of the galaxy. And Finn's riding off towards it. And and because Finn was such a... Like, think about Finn throughout these two movies. He's been a coward. He runs and he hides. And he runs and he hides and he runs away because he's a coward. And this coward is in a sand skiff, barreling to his death because he's going to plow into this thing to blow it up so that the Resistance can have this fortified base and hole up and reach out to the galaxy and get help. But no, Rose has to ride up on her own sand skiff and knock him out of the way. And and when Finn goes, Rose, why, why did you do that? She goes, you big dummy. We don't, we don't win by sacrificing, you know, or, or by, by, by destroying what we hate. We win by, 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 uh, fighting for what we love. And I'm like, ah, it's such a cringe line. Like, no, let Finn barrel into the thing. Let me love Finn. Let him barrel into it. Let him sacrifice himself. Let this thing happen. But no, it doesn't happen. And, and then they just didn't plot the trilogy good anyway. But, what even got me started talking on Star Wars and stuff? Well, I was talking about killing James Bond. So there you go. So now we've come full circle with it. Now it has context. <clears throat> I don't know. I just feel like checking up with you guys because it's been a couple of weeks. We It was like three weeks ago, I think, that I did an episode. And it was Olivia Rondo. And she was a great guest. I loved having Olivia Rondo on it. If you haven't watched that, go back, watch it, listen to it, whatever you're going to do. However you get your Fritzcast fill, go back and check out the Olivia Rondo episode because she's just, she does a lot of work uh, online. Uh, she's working with Larry Sharp now. I just saw she put out some video with uh, the Sharp Way as well. Just a very versatile person, um, but a great episode. And then I didn't do, I didn't do an episode the following. I didn't do an episode that Friday. I was supposed to be on... Break the Cycle with Joshua Smith. And then he got sick, probably with COVID. And we had to push the episode off to the next week, which was last week. And I didn't do an episode last week because I was on Break the Cycle with Josh Smith. So if you haven't watched that, you can go watch it. A lot of people have watched it and responded positive to positively to it. So that was really fun to do. I really enjoy going on to other shows because when I go on to other shows, I get to just have discussions with them and, and go with their flow. Whereas, you know, with Fritzcast... I'm sitting here throughout the week, and I'm like, okay, what can I talk about? And something like when you're only doing it on a weekly basis, once a week, if that, and you're not having a guest on, I'm trying to barrel through just 
it's like eons of information from Twitter and from social media and from news and analysis websites. I listen to literally dozens of podcasts. When people ask me, hey, uh, what are, what, you know, what's your top recommended podcast? I, I can't give you a top recommended podcast. I listen to advisory opinions from the dispatch when I want to hear about the Supreme Court stuff and get some kind of an idea on what's going on on that front. I listen to uh, I listen to Break the Cycle with Joshua Smith just to hear him talk to other Liberty people and 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 not even Liberty people too people that aren't necessarily Liberty people just to get different perspectives and, and things like that. And then um, I you know I have a whole slew of other podcasts. I, I list, still listen to Glenn Beck's show not not uh, every day not every episode but. I pick up on interesting interviews or interesting topics that he's talking about. Oh, a whole lot. Lions of Liberty I listen to for debates and, and things like that between like Dave Smith and Jason Stapleton, which wasn't a debate so much, but it was a discussion. Had to take a, a, a pausing break there for a, for a hot minute uh, because right in the middle, I don't know, I think you can hear it, uh, in the last couple of seconds prior to me hitting a record and, and coming back to record this, but my dog started going off and my dog started going off because of, uh, I, I had a wood delivery coming today. I ordered a cord of wood and, uh, just, just if anybody needs a visual, there it is. It's right there. Slide over to here. That's a cord of wood. That got delivered. And if you need a, a, a better visual of that, that might not look like a lot. How about the aerial view from, from my office window? <laughs> That's a big pile of wood. Lots and lots of wood. So I had to take a break uh, to help unload that from the delivery truck. And it's not staying there. I had him dump it there because it's the fenced, it's the fenced in part of my yard. So I can slowly get it moved over to where I store the wood and keep it organized and stuff. Uh, so I had to take a little break and I just re-listened to the last like two minutes of my podcast to figure out, reorient, reorient myself as to where I was. And I was talking about podcasts. So yes, I do consume a lot of different media um, because I want a wide array and a wide variety of opinions before I formulate my own. I always tell people, that uh, I, you know, the worst thing that you can do is just pick one source to go to for everything. That you're gonna just entrust the source to tell you what you should think about it. Uh, you shouldn't really do that with any source. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna point out any libertarian economist or theorist or pundit or commentator or politician even. I'm not gonna pick one of them and tell you that's where you gotta go. That's your number one source. You'll never be led astray from there. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that's going to tell you that uh, that you can't you can't trust anybody to formulate the opinions for you. They can teach you. I like me. I can teach you something. Maybe I can teach you something you didn't know. I can point you to sources or in the right direction or even other content that help me formulate my opinions and my views. But I can't tell you what you should think. I can't tell you what the right answer is because with a lot of this stuff unfortunately there isn't like a right answer you know other than other than i'm pretty sure the government isn't the answer that might be the most right answer for anything is that the government isn't the answer but 
that that's how this works. A lot of people get into this content, they get into podcasts, they get into commentators and all that. Not to not to be enlightened, but to be like told what to think or what to feel about something instead of realizing that this is a source and it's a perspective and that they need to take it and stack it against other ones to formulate your own, to make yourself you and to give yourself your own opinions. And uh, that there's a lot of that that's not going on. On like a whole scale front, <laughs> not just like not, not just when it comes to libertarians and echo chambers or anything, uh, a lot of people, I, I can't, you know, I used to say that I love politics. I don't. I don't love politics. All right, I don't. Um, and I'll tell you why I don't. Because now politics is fighting. Politics is di- making dividing lines. Politics is separating people from each other. And politics is a team sport right now. I hate politics for this stuff because you know, thanks to politics, okay. Thanks to politics, everything with COVID is politicized. Everything. When I hear people say that Trump politicized COVID, I would like them to explain to me how Joe Biden hasn't politicized COVID. Joe Biden is the one that's gotten in front of the nation and directly put the unvaccinated on blast. He basically told everybody that's gotten the vaccine for COVID, that the unvaccinated are the enemy, that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. These are whole, these are these, these lines are holy lies. They're inflammatory. They're derogatory. It is rhetoric that you shouldn't want out of your leader. And there's plenty of people that I know who are vaccinated and encourage other people to get vaccinated, but they're against mandates. And they're against punishing people for not getting vaccinated because they realize how detrimental that is to the cause of trying to get people vaccinated. But you can't have that discussion, not in the mainstream media, not online on Twitter, not on, uh, not in certain bubbles, in your social life, you can't have that discussion uh, because, you know, because that's how it is. It's how we've been set up. We've been set up with sharp divides. We've been set up to make people that don't think in the same line as us as enemies. And I think it's bad. I really think it's bad. And when it comes to the pandemic stuff, I think it's, I think it's really bad because we can't have honest conversations about anything anymore. I mean, I want to show you this meme um, from... Being libertarian, well, at least they posted it. But this this right here. Imagine, if you will, a pandemic so severe that we can afford to fire healthcare workers. Now look, I know healthcare workers. I've interacted with healthcare workers personally, online, uh, on Twitter, uh, and in real life. And I have real-life friends, okay? I have a real-life life friend and family member who as a healthcare worker, faced that and got more or less fired because of the vaccine stuff for not getting a mandated vaccine. There's some healthcare workers that I know that are adamant that 
if they're that if there's other healthcare workers out there and they're saying that they have no business being in healthcare. That's that's an opinion. It's an opinion because for however long, for a longer time than there's been a vaccine available for this thing, healthcare workers worked through this pandemic. They worked through this pandemic with out of vaccine with just PPE. And the last that I checked, the hospital number or the number of hospital workers that caught COVID was not some exponentially highly reported thing. Now, could it have been? Sure. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the point is, is that these these people are facing being fired on the spot for not complying with uh, a policy that is that, that uh, while some people say isn't controversial, I think it is controversial uh, because as much as people want to say, oh, there's mandated vaccines for everything, almost nowhere, it, almost nowhere in your life have you ever had to pull out medical documentation of any kind to prove that you have had something. For real, think, think about this. And maybe I'm wrong because of where I've lived and the experiences that I've had, but never before have I had to prove any sort of medical documentation on anything except for at my place of business or in my line of work, I have to submit to uh, yearly TB tests, which a TB test isn't an inoculation, isn't a vaccine. It's literally a test that they run to see if you have TB, which is the weirdest test ever because they implant that thing underneath your skin. And then you come in, you know, 48 hours later and they rub their hand over it and they go, oh yeah, you're good. I have no idea what they're checking. I have no idea what they're doing. Uh, But it's a TB test. That's what they do. PPD test, if you will. Uh, But, uh, but I like I've never had to submit any other medical documentation for for anything for any vaccinations whatsoever, you know, and I I can't think of a time that I've had to. I can't think of any condition of employment or or being a student or anything where I've had to do that. I've never been in a position where I was mandated to get a flu shot, and I worked at an old folks' home for five years of my life uh, in their dining services, and we were never mandated anything of the sort. Were we offered it? Yeah, we were offered it. But when it comes to, like, the flu shot, I'm like, only in, in the most recent history has the flu shot been recommended to basically everybody. Um, it never was before, and I can guarantee you, most everybody listening now will probably tell me that their doctors offered a flu vaccine, but never pressed them or said, oh yeah, you should definitely get a flu vaccine. In fact, my doctor, when asking me about the flu vaccine uh, a couple of years ago, before my daughter was born, said hey, have you got your flu vaccine? I said, no, 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 I didn't. I haven't got my flu vaccine. And he said, "Uh, yeah, yeah, you're young. You don't really need it. I'm sure that discussion has changed now. Um, I think the only time I got a flu shot in recent history was um, when my wife got pregnant because for young babies, for children under the age of two, um, it is highly recommended as is it highly recommended for adults over the age of 65 and anybody that's immunocompromised. But everybody else, it's not really a thing. 
Uh, flu shots are there, and nobody made a big stink about it until COVID came along. And now that COVID's come along, people are starting to belittle people for not getting a flu shot or for speaking out against a flu shot. That's just, that's the way of life right now. That's the, that's the way I see it. Okay? That's the way that I see it. I'm not getting into tivies about the flu shot because I've brought up probably probably a dozen or more times about uh, the effectiveness of the 2018-2019 flu shot or flu vaccine. You can look it up on the internet yourself so that I don't have to give you the number. So you, why would I give you the number? You're just going to, he's lying. And then you're going to Google it and you're going to go, oh, he's not lying. And huh, that's peculiar. So do it. Just, just do it on your own time. But, <clears throat> but that's the world that we live in. And it's the same thing with anything in politics nowadays. So $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. If you have concerns about the national debt, spending, deficit, whatever. If you have concerns about it and you bring it up, people start berating and belittling you because you're not on board with what they're on board with. Whether they understand it or not. Now, mind you, some there's lots of misinformation that comes out with these things like you know a, a lot of my friends passed out you know oh biden has this uh he has this um a mileage uh this mileage tax in this thing he doesn't have a mileage tax in this thing it is some kind of stupid bullshit pilot to study what they would do for a mileage tax and how they would implement it and if it would be worthwhile. And the only reason that they're doing this is because they are slowly trying to set things up to uh, switch the nation off of gas vehicles onto EV vehicles. And the funny thing about this, to me, is that, what is it? I think Biden's declaration was to have 50% of production of of EV of vehicles be EV by 2030 I think that's what it is I want to I I, I want to google it and make sure I'm right because I've been wrong in the past President Biden outlines target of 50% electric vehicles sales share in 2030 um to, quote, unleash the full economic benefits of the Build Back Better agenda. Uh, So he wants half of new U.S. auto fleet electric by 2030. Now, some people are going to be like, oh, yeah, green planet, uh, green new deal, green yada, yada, yada. You know, we got to cut back on carbon emissions of cars. Great. I'm not against that. But turning all the cars EV isn't going to cut back on pollution because the more power we're going to need for cars, the more demand that's going to go on the electrical grid and the electrical grid is still heavily, oh yeah, fossil fuel. And these guys are against nuclear energy, period, the end, despite the fact that it is a very actively non-polluting generating energy resource. That could power entire cities and it creates a byproduct, yes, that is toxic and has to be broken down, but we have ways to break these down and there's ways to recycle it. And they're continuing the the technology research into like, you know, nuclear thorium energies and things like that, which is like insanely great things, but you can't do it on the green energy guys scope because it's not wind and it's not solar, 
but those are highly inefficient when we're talking about replacing and making the grid work for the entirety of the United States of America. It just doesn't work. And now you want the EV vehicles, which will increase exponentially if, if we're going to make the market 50% by 2030. Uh, half of If we're going to make half of the new vehicles being produced by 2030 EV only, uh, that's going to rise. That's going to make uh, the grid rise. And while everybody's like, well, it's not that expensive to charge up a car, by that time, it will be expensive to charge up a car. Like, people who don't have electric cars don't realize that the charging stations, they ain't free. You don't go up to a charging station and plug in and, you know, hey, you get free because uh, you're, uh, you, you have a car that has zero emissions. You pay. You pay to charge your car. You pay to supercharge your car. You pay to charge your car at home. Everybody pays for that. A bunch of people don't even look at EVs because EVs are vastly more expensive versus a gas combustion car. That's just facts. And while all this is going on, not enough dealerships are being, or not enough manufacturers, not dealerships, not enough manufacturers are being smart to say, we got to use what we know and what's leading right now until we get there and until we can sustain that. Like, I think that the CEO of GM was probably one of the ones that I read that came out and said, you know what? We're going to make electric trucks, and we are, and we, we're not going to be able to sell people on electric trucks. They're going to have to buy them and see for themselves that these things are, you know, that these things are pretty monstrous uh, things that can still do all these great truck-like things off of electric. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean that we're not going to sit here and try to, like, make super energy-efficient uh, gas combustion engines, which is smart. Why wouldn't you? while you're trying to transition into EV, why wouldn't you make your gas combustion engines better on their miles per, per gallon? Why wouldn't you do that? It just makes sense. It's probably what people are going to end up buying first, whether they buy it brand new or whether they buy them off of a used lot. But that's a whole nother ball game because of the financial situation in America uh, because of things like a $3.5 trillion bill and continuous government spending going up, 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 and up to the degree that we're not even talking about inflation properly to the degree that Janet Yellen is sitting here saying like, we're going to be out of money. Like we're just, we're going to run out of money. We're going to run out of money. And then the debt ceiling is going to go up and up and up. Thomas Massey's right. This is kick the can down the road. Some people don't care. Chris Hayes, all caps tweeted that the money situation is fake. It's all fake. There's nothing to worry about. It's all fake. Scott Santins, who's a big UBI guy, retweeted it and said, not only is he right, but UBI is necessary because this is what these guys do because this is modern economic theory. It takes all of the previous economic theory and says this is garbage and doesn't apply. And they come up with this new quirky economic theory of how the world will work and how nothing is collapsible, apparently, at this point. That's kind of crazy to me. Kind of nutty to me. And what? meanwhile, while this is going on, you have Democrats and Republicans. They're not working together. The Republicans don't have to work with the Democrats because the Democrats have a majority, except when... 
Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema show up and say, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go with this. And then everybody's, you know, rioting on Twitter. Well, not really rioting on Twitter. As I had some exchanges with some people over the last couple of days on Twitter, they're like, let's flood these senators' phone lines with voicemails. Well, that's that's super effective. That'll change their minds, especially if you're not one of their constituents. But it also brings up the fact that a lot of people just don't understand how the government works and how our system is set up. I don't know how many times in the past week I've had these people say, man, these senators from these states and the fact that there's only two senators from each state is just jacked up. That's not really a representative of the people. Representative of the people. The sen- your senator isn't representative of you. Your represent- your senator is not a representative of you. Your representative, or your senator is representative of your state's government. That's how this is set up to be, even though it's not working that way. Your representative is in the House of Representatives. The People's House. They call it the People's House because that's your representative in federal affairs and government. But senators aren't. Senators aren't. Even though you get to pick and elect them, which you shouldn't, because they're not representative of you, they're representative of your state's government. Senators should be appointed by your state's government. But whatever. We'll talk about repealing amendments some other time. I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't even know. But it's brought some things to my mind. It's brought some light to me that as of late on Fritzcast, unless I've had a guest, it's been a lot more ranty and unfocused and choppy and bitty. And it's something that I am committed to working on. I don't want to just be another libertarian podcast out there. I don't even really, I don't even care about pushing the libertarian party at this point uh, because it's in shambles right now. There's too much bullcrap going on and people want to argue over the dumbest things. I can tell you that, uh, I can tell you that just from being, just from being in, um, just, just for being in state discords, stupid stuff happening in state discords while, while I watch, while I watch people involved in the Libertarian Party not effectively do anything other than piss all over each other. And I don't care for it. I'll still go to the meetings. I'll still vote for uh, things that I believe should be happening. I'll still vote against things that I believe shouldn't be happening. And in the meantime, I'm going to try not to join the pissing contest and try to do whatever I can to the best of my ability. One of the things that I think I can do to the best of my ability is take my podcast, continue to bring in guests that are smart, that know things better than I know them, that can break things down better than I can, but also I can conduct research and give you things that I think we're in desperate need of. Things like when we're talking about a $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, and people want to say, if you're against that, then you're against the, the will of the American people. But I'm sitting here and saying that the spending is important, that we do need to focus on different things. I think... I think in terms of Calvin Coolidge. Listen to this. 
And that, my friends, is why I am doing everything. I'm putting everything on pause, everything on hold. And I'm building a time machine. Because Coolidge only served one term. And we can get one more term out of the bastard if I can get the DeLorean back in time, pick him up, and bring him back to now. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal. Guys, that's going to do it for me for this week. I can't really rack my brain any worse on, on some of this stuff because uh, I'm not truly in a position to do that without conducting more research and being a little more organized. And that's, that's a commitment that I have. That's what I'm going to do from here on out. So expect a little bit different vibe with FritzCast going forward. Remember, I love you. You can follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you need to reach me. Guys, remember, I love you. If you haven't checked out, uh, I was on Break the Cycle with Joshua Smith. Go check it out. It's up on his uh, YouTube page. Follow him if you don't already follow him. Check out two weeks ago the episode with Olivia Rondo if you missed that one because it was an absolutely great interview. And I've got more tucked under my belt, ready to throw out at you. Coming soon. But until then, enjoy your weekend. Remember, I love you, and I'll see you next week.